on what station can you hear talk shows, country music, Gaelic music, oldies, funk, and more? Why, it's the University of Central Missouri's The Beat, the best in college radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the first episode of Inside the Diamond. I'm your host, Colin Somewhere, and on today's show, we're going to recap the Super Bowl first. After that, we are going to move on to what is considered to be America's sport, which is baseball. Yay! That's all coming up on UCM The Beat. So first off, let's recap that Super Bowl 57 that was one of the best games I think I've ever watched in terms of the Super Bowl. It was a complete shootout. The final score ended up being 38-35 to with the Chiefs winning it all. That was the third highest scoring in Super Bowl history in terms of total points, of course. There is Tony also had the longest punt return in Super Bowl history, which was very impressive for him. That's a very good job for him. And I admit, I was nervous at halftime because Patrick Mahomes ended up re-entering that ankle of his. And I was like, oh, no, this is not this is not good. We're going to lose it. But, nope, they ended up winning. After the Chiefs scored on their first drive of the half, I was like, okay, yeah, we're going to win this thing. So let's go over each drive. First half, Eagles get the ball first. They go down the field and score a touchdown. Now, they held the ball for quite some time. They had it for, like, almost five minutes. The Chiefs got a touchdown of their own, a touchdown pass to Travis Kelsey from 20 yards out. Mahomes does it again to Travis Kelsey, 18 yards. Harrison Bucker adds on the extra point, which makes the score 7-7. to A.J. Brown catches a 45-yard pass from Jalen Hurts. To make the score 14-7, Nick Bolton returns a 36-yard fumble return. Nick Bolton, the second-year linebacker out of Mizzou. Then Jalen Hurts runs it in from four yards out. Two minutes and 20 seconds left in the first half. 21-14. Mahomes re-injures his ankle, and you're thinking, oh, no, not this again. He looked like it was really hurting him. But I think he was just acting because, you know, you got to fake an injury till you make it. Jake Elliott then adds on a 35-yard field goal at the end of the half, which makes the score 24-14. Third quarter rolls around. Chiefs drive down the field in 5 minutes and 30 seconds. Touchdown Isaiah Pacheco, who, by the way, if you don't know, runs hard because his He's dedicating it to his sister, his brother, who were both murdered at such a young age, unfortunate. Third quarter rolls around. Field goal by Jake Elliott with 1.45 to go in the third quarter. 33 yards, 27 to 21 Eagles. Kadarius Tony catches a five-yard pass from Patrick Mahomes, and Kadarius Tony was wide open, too. I mean, the guy was, there was nobody within five yards of him. But before that play happened, let's talk about the athleticism of Patrick Mahomes. What in the world? He was stopped for like a 10-yard loss, and he somehow got out of a sack. I This kid, this man continues to amaze me every single day. Then Sky Moore catches a four-yard pass from Patrick Mahomes. 35-27 to 27 Chiefs. You're thinking, oh, we got this, we got this. Defense says, hey, let's just allow another quarterback sneak for a touchdown. Two yards out. Jalen Hurts then runs it in from two yards out once again on the two-point conversion to tie up the score at 35-35. to Now, before I go into the field goal, let me explain this drive. All right. The Chiefs got the ball at the 25-yard line, which is obvious. Isaiah Pacheco starts off the drive by running it for three yards. Then Patrick Mahomes passes it to to Juju Smith-Schuster for 10 yards at the 38-yard line. Isaiah Pacheco takes it two yards to the Kansas City 40. 
Mahomes to Kelsey once again for seven yards. Then Isaiah Pacheco comes back in the game and takes it down to the Philly 43-yard line for 10 yards. They were at the 47 at this point, remember. Then Patrick Mahomes straight up scrambles up the middle for 26 yards to the Philadelphia 17. Isaiah Pacheco then takes the ball, two yards, two-yard run, modest gain. Mahomes then throws a pass to Juju Smith-Schuster for no gain. They got stopped at the Philly 15. Philly takes a timeout. Mahomes threw an incomplete pass to Juju Smith-Schuster. However, there was a holding call on James Bradbury, which allowed the Chiefs to get to the 11-yard line. Jarek McKinnon then gets to the 2-yard line, sits down, Timeout, Eagles, and they can't stop the clock anymore. So Chiefs kneel it twice, take the timeout with 11 seconds left. Harrison Bucker nails a 27-yard field goal, and everyone in my house went ballistic whenever that field goal happened. We were all so excited. I couldn't even believe it. This was supposed to be a rebuilding year, too. Harrison Bucker then kicks it on the ground, Squib kick it for 10 yard for 40 yards. Kenneth Gainwell returns it for 11 yards and just sits down. Now, the last six seconds of the game, Jalen Hurts decides, hey, I'll try a Hail Mary pass. Well, guess what, Jalen? Your shoulder is way too injured. You can't really throw the ball that deep right now. He tried to get it somewhere, but it... Really was not even close to anybody. Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Boy, that was a good game. Let's go over the team stats. Chiefs had 21 first downs. Eagles had 25. The Chiefs had two first downs by penalty, seven rushing yards, and seven rushing first downs, excuse me, and 12 passing first downs, while the Eagles had 11 passing first downs, 12 rushing first downs, and two first downs from penalty. Chiefs were four for eight on third down, but the only reason they were not more efficient is because they didn't really have the ball for that long. I'll get to that in just a little bit. Philadelphia was 11 of 18 on third down, which is right around 60%. That's not too bad. But they were two for two on fourth down. Chiefs didn't go for it on fourth, on fourth down at all. The Chiefs had 53 plays for 340 yards, 8 drives, 6.4 yards per per play. Mahomes threw for 182 yards. 100 excuse me. 21 of 27, 6.7 yards per pass, no interceptions and he did not get sacked once. Now let's go over the Eagles. The Eagles had 72 plays, 417 yards, 10 total drives, 5.8 yards per play, 302 passing yards. Hertz was 27 of 38, 7.6 yards per pass, no interceptions. And he got sacked twice, which is why it was 302 instead of 304. Now, rushing yards... The Chiefs dominated that one. The Chiefs had 158 rushing yards compared to Philly's 115. Now, Philly ran the ball a lot more, and I was expecting that because they run the ball so many times it's not even funny. They run it like 10% of their, like at least 50% of their plays are runs. Eventually, teams are going to catch up. Eagles had 32 rushing attempts, 3.6 yards per carry. They were 3-for-5 in the red zone, which is right around 60%. The Chiefs, on the other hand, had 26 rushing attempts, 6.1 yards per carry. The Chiefs were also 4-for-5 in the red zone. They got penalized three times for 14 yards, which is not too bad considering the fact that the ref for this game was Carl Sheffers, who I thought called a very fair game. That was one of the most fair games I think he's ever called. And that's coming from a Chiefs fan. 
Now, the entire stadium booed him before the game, which I didn't expect anything less other than that. Now, what killed the Eagles, let's be honest, it was turnovers. Everyone knows in the playoffs, you have to be perfect. You cannot turn over the ball. And that's what Jalen Hurts did. It looked like he wanted to run it, but Nick Bolton got there with the pressure, knocked the ball free, and ran it in from 36 yards out, ending up with a touchdown. Now let's move on to time of possession. The Eagles had the ball for a whopping 35 minutes and 47 seconds, while the Chiefs had the ball for 24 minutes and 13 seconds. Now let's go over the individual player stats for this game. Patrick Mahomes was 21 of 27, 182 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He had a quarterback rating of 131.8. Get 131.8, guys. That is impressive. Isaiah Pacheco led the team in rushing yards, 15 carries for 76 yards. That's 5.1 yards per carry. One touchdown. And obviously, Travis Kelsey led the team in receiving six receptions for 81 yards and a touchdown. His longest was 22 yards. Six targets, six receptions. That's perfect. I mean, he'll take it. Sky Moore also got a touchdown. That was his first touchdown in his career. That was his only target, too. Noah Gray also got a six-yard reception. Kadarius Tony got a five-yard reception for a touchdown. Jarek McKinnon got three receptions for 15 yards. Five yards per, per catch. That's not too bad. Valdez Scantling and Jody Fortson both had one target, but unfortunately neither of them could come down with the target, leaving them with a whopping zero yards. Man, that's got to hurt, especially if you're Jody Fortson. Now let's move on to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was 27 of 38, 304 yards, right around 8 yards per play. One touchdown, no interceptions. Had a quarterback rating of 103.4. That's pretty solid for Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts also led the team in rushing yards, 15 carries for 70 yards, 4.7 yards per carry, and three touchdowns, all of which came on a quarterback sneak. Which, by the way, guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but they are removing the rule that you cannot push the quarterback beyond the line of scrimmage for a quarterback sneak. The quarterback has to do that himself. And I think it's a good rule. Philadelphia was led by Devontae Smith on the receiving end. Seven receptions for 100 yards. No touchdowns. A.J. Brown caught the only touchdown of the day for the Eagles. For Jalen Hurts, excuse me. Six receptions, 96 yards, which is around 16 yards per, per completion. His longest was 45 yards, and that unfortunately ended in a touchdown. Now, Devontae Smith, before the Eagles scored their last touchdown of the day, he went out of bounds on his own. I think I know why, because here's the thing. They had it. They had the touchdown wide open, but they didn't want to give the Chiefs an extra play. And I think Nick Sirianni made a case for Coach of the Year, definitely in this game, because he had a great game plan going in. There's been some... Pretty big news these last few days in the NFL, so let's go through it. First off, Chad Henney retired from the NFL. He retired as a champion. Bye-bye. He did not have the best career, but his last career pass was a touchdown in the divisional round to Travis Kelsey, if you guys remember that. In other news, the Eagles' defensive coordinator is looking to be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Now, are they going to help? Now, is John Gannon going to help? No, probably not. Because the Cardinals need a lot more than a head coach. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up, I'll be talking about my favorite sport. I'll tell you how I got interested in the sport. 
Plus, I will grade each team's offseason based on who they acquired. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Inside the Diamond on UCM The Beat. Did you know that it costs zero dollars to make someone smile? A simple act of kindness can go a long way. You may walk past tons of people a day, not even knowing their story. Someone could probably be having one of the worst days, but a simple compliment on their outfit or even helping them out with a small task can change a bad day to a good one. No matter what, always try to give your neighbor a reason to smile. Tobacco use affects youths all across the United States. Millions of youth are at risk for disease and even death due to tobacco use. Talk to your kids about tobacco use and how it can affect their lungs. Help keep the future of this nation safe from tobacco-related illnesses. According to a study by IBM, 95% of all cybersecurity breaches result from human error. That adds up to about $3.13 million of loss in 2020 alone, and accounts for acts like downloading infected files or software and storing weak passwords in easy-to-find places. When everything is online, you can't afford to not be. Protect yourself and others online. Learn more and how at CISA.gov. Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show, but there's one problem that just got me stumped, childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Blood drives are a significant event. 4.5 million people need a transfusion each year. One out of seven people entering a hospital need blood. And only 37% of the United States population is eligible to donate blood. It only takes about an hour to save a life. Even one pint of blood can save up to three people's lives. So, if you want to help, please visit redcrossblood.org to set up an appointment today. You are now turned into the dopest college radio station. UCM the beat. Keep it locked. U C M the beat. Oh, guys, welcome back to Inside the Diamond. Man, that's going to be catchy for a long time, guys. Now, I've had a lot of people ask me, how did you get into baseball? Well, here's the thing, guys. I got a lot of people interested in baseball in my family. My grandfather, who's listening right now, shout out to you, Mr. Gramps. How are we doing? Hope you're doing well. My dad got me interested in baseball. Pretty much everyone in my family is a baseball fan now. 
My uncle's a baseball fan. They were raised Royals fans, and I was also raised a Royals fan. Which I feel like, you know, the team did well for a little bit right there, but unfortunately, they've taken a step back. Which, I mean, you know, it happens, but I think... I think they're going to do something this year. They're going to try and compete, but it's not likely. Let's talk about the new rules entering the 2023 baseball season, and there's quite a few of them. Here are the top four, okay? The pitch timer. Now, this is a good this is a good thing because here's the thing. Baseball games usually take forever. They usually take, like, at least three and a half hours to four hours and you know, standing out there as a camera operator, it gets a little bit difficult, especially when you're in the hot sun. You don't have any shade. Let's talk about what the pitch timer is. The pitcher must begin his motion to deliver the pitch before the expiration of the pitch timer. Pitchers who violate the timer are charged with an automatic ball. Batters who violate the timer are charged with an automatic strike. The batter must be in the box and alert to the pitcher by the 8-second mark or else be charged with an automatic strike. With runners on base, the timer resets if the pitcher attempts to or steps off the rubber. If he attempts to pick off or steps off the rubber, the timer resets. Pitchers are limited to two disengagements, which are, of course, pickoff attempts or step-offs per plate appearance. However... The, this limit will reset if a runner or runners advance during the plate appearance. If a third pickoff attempt is made, the runner automatically advances one base if the pickoff attempt is not successful. Mound visits, injury timeouts, and offensive team timeouts do not count as a disengagement. If a team has used up all five of its allotted mound visits prior to the ninth inning, that team will receive an additional mound visit in the ninth inning. This effectively serves as an additional disengagement. Umpires may provide extra time if warranted by special circumstances. So if, let's say as an example, a catcher were to throw out a catcher were to be thrown out on the basis to end the previous half inning and needed additional time to put on his catching gear, the umpire could allow it which I don't know why a catcher would try to steal a base because they're so incredibly slow. It's not even funny. The biggest change, I think, for me, in my opinion, is the defensive shift limits. Let's talk about this rule. The four infielders must be within the outer boundary of the infield when the pitcher is on the rubber. Infielders may not switch sides. In other words, a team cannot reposition its best defender on the side of the infield. The batter is more likely to hit the ball. So left-handers are more likely to pull the ball, while right-handed batters are likely to either go the opposite way or pull the ball. If the infielders are not aligned properly at the time of the pitch, the offense can choose an automatic ball or the results of the play. This rule does not preclude a team from positioning an outfielder in the infield or in the shallow outfield grass in certain situations. But it does prohibit four outfielder alignments, which used to be a thing, which I think that's a pretty good rule, in my opinion. I think, you know, left-handers, they already need an advantage because they're grounding out to the right side way too much. And this is going to make the game even more exciting. Bigger bases are coming. The bases, which traditionally have been 15 inches square, will instead be 18 inches square, which is an increase of 3 inches for those of you who are not very good at math. Now, the primary goal of this change is to give players more more space and to avoid collisions because collisions happen in the MLB way too often. Baseball is a dangerous sport in general. Now, the biggest one, of, another one of the biggest rule changes I think for me is each team will play each other. Now, I know you're going to say, each team already plays each other somewhere. You're dumb. No, I'm not dumb, okay? This means that every single team in the MLB 
has to play every other team at least once throughout the season. Now let's go over, let's grade the team's off-seasons. The additions for the Miami Dolphins, excuse me, the Miami Marlins, this is not football anymore somewhere, remember? The additions for the Miami Marlins, Louisa Rise, they acquired Jacob Amaya, Gene Segura, Johnny Cueto, JT Chargos, Xavier Edwards, and Matt Barnes. All this together, I think I'm going to give the Marlins a C for this one. Johnny Cueto is a solid pitcher. Gene Segura is a great bat. Luis Arise is very tough to deal with, just as the Royals. Well, now let's to move on to the Minnesota Twins. They had a pretty big offseason. i got to be honest. This is pretty good. These are pretty good additions. Pablo Lopez, who they got in the trade for Luis Arise. Carlos Correa, cheater. Boo! Christian Vasquez from the Boston Red Sox. Joey Gallo from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yes, he was on the Dodgers at the end of the season. Don't come at me. I know he was on the Rangers before, but now he's on the he's on the Twins now, which he's probably going to strike out even more because he's a strikeout guy. Kyle Farmer and Michael A. Taylor, former Royal. Man, I miss Michael A. Taylor already. But I'm going to give the Twins an A minus. Carlos Correa is one of the best shortstops in the in the MLB, which I hate saying because he cheated. But let's move on to the Los Angeles Dodgers. They did not do much of anything this offseason. Their biggest move was probably signing Alex Reyes as well as Miguel Rojas. They re-signed Clayton Kershaw, who cannot throw throw as fast as he once did. He used to throw 94, 95. Now he's down to around 88. Noah Syndergaard, who has not really been the same ever since he came back from Tommy John surgery. J.D. Martinez, who can still hit dingers. J.D. to me stands for just dingers, by the way. Just Dingers Martinez. I like it. Shelby Miller, right-handed pitcher. <clears throat> Jason Hayward and J.P. Fireisen. Overall, I'm going to give the Dodgers this offseason a C-. Why in the world would you bring in washed-up players? Noah Sandergaard's washed. J.D. Martinez still has power. Jason Hayward's washed. Okay, I don't care who says he's not. He is completely washed. He just needs to retire. Let's move on to the Philadelphia Phillies. They had an incredible offseason, guys. Hear, hear me out. Gregory Soto from the Detroit Tigers. Cody Clemens. Taiwan Walker from the Mets. Trey Turner from the Dodgers. Guys. Trey Turner, one of the best shortstops in the MLB. Matt Strom, who was not really that good with the Royals. He used to be a Royal. He was drafted by the Royals, actually. But, you know, he couldn't control. He couldn't control his... Here's the thing, guys. In order to be a good pitcher in the MLB, you need to have control of your pitches. He did not. Craig Cambrell, I love this signing, guys. This is one of the best bullpen arms I think we've ever seen. He does have a weird stance where he kind of looks like an eagle about to pounce on a snake. But they also signed Josh Harrison. For that reason, I'm giving them an A+++++. I know that's four pluses. I can't go that high, but I would go that high if it was available. The Texas Rangers, I love what they did in the offseason. They signed Jacob DeGrom, Nathan Evaldi, Andrew Heaney, Martin Perez, and Jake Odorizzi. That is a solid starting rotation. For that reason, I'm giving him a B+. Now, is Jacob DeGrom going to help lead this team to the playoffs? Probably not. They need more bats. Let's move on to the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have Whit Merrifield, which I don't like, but... I mean, it's not my decision. They got Dalton Varsho from the Arizona Diamondbacks, Chris Bassett from the New York Mets, Eric Swanson, Brandon Belt, 
Kevin Kiermeyer, Chan Green, and Anthony Bass. I'm going to give them a beat. They had some pretty good pieces in there. Brandon Belt's one of the best first basemen in the entire MLB. Kevin Kiermeyer, without a doubt, I think some of you are going to agree with me on this. He's one of the best outfielders. He's one of the best outfielders in the entire MLB. Okay. I said it there. Let's move on to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Gabriel Moreno, Lourdes Gurriel, Zach Davies, Miguel Castro, Kyle Lewis, and Gregory, excuse me, Diego Castillo. For that reason, I'm going to give them a B minus. Diego Castillo's a lot. He's a good pitcher for the most part. Lourdes Gurriel from the Blue Jays. I mean, the Blue Jays lost a stud, but at least the Diamondbacks got a good player. Zach Davies, he doesn't really throw that hard. He's a sinker baller. Kyle Lewis, I'm going to give them a B-. minus. I don't think they're going to do anything this year, though. Newt, let's move on to the San Francisco Giants. Michael Conforto, Taylor Rogers, Ross Stripling, Sean Manaya, Jock Peterson, and Luke Jackson. Now the Giants trying to get Carlos Correa, which I'll get to in just a little bit, but Carlos Correa's offseason... Actually, let's do it now. Carlos Correa's offseason was very interesting. He first signed with the Mets, then he went to the Giants, then he went to the Twins back again. It was very interesting. Anyway, moving on, I think I'm going to give the Giants here a B. Sean is a good pitcher. Junk Peterson's got some power. Michael Conforto's got some power as well. Taylor Rogers, okay. The Angels had a pretty good offseason. I mean, Brandon Drury, Carlos Estevez, solid bullpen arm. Tyler Anderson, another solid bullpen arm. Brett Phillips, one of the strongest arms in the outfield. Gio Urshela and Hunter Renfro round out the Angels this offseason. I'm going to give them a B. They had a pretty good offseason, you know. They acquired some much-needed bullpen help. Let's move on to the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox, what did you do? You had quite possibly one of the worst off-seasons, but not as bad as the White Sox. We'll get to them in just a little bit. Let's move. Let's get into it. Justin Turner is on the Boston Red Sox now. Now, they brought this kid in from Japan. His name is Masataka Yoshidi. Yoshida. Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, Corey Kluber, Adam Duvall, and Alberto Mondesi, former Royal, who could not stay healthy for the life of him. I feel really bad for him because he's a talented player, but he just can't stay on the field. For that reason, I'm gonna give the I'm gonna give the Red Sox a C. You lost Xander Bogarts, one of the best shortstops in the entire MLB. You're not doing anything this year. Moving on to the Chicago Cubs. They had a very, very solid offseason. I got to admit. Dansby Swanson, Jamison Tyone, Cody Bellinger, Drew Smiley, Trey Mancini, Tucker Barnhart, and last but not least, former Royal Eric Hosmer. B- minus for you. I said it right there. B-. minus Because Cody Bellinger is one of the best bats. Jamison Tyone's got a good fastball, good splitter. Trey Mancini's got some power. Eric Hosmer's got some power, but not that much. White Sox, you get an F, okay? You only had two offseason moves. Andrew Benintendi and Mike Clevenger, who I do not think is going to play at all this year because, guys, if you don't know this, it pains me to say it, but... He is under investigation for domestic violence under the MLB, and no, he should not be able to play another pitch in the MLB. He should not even be allowed. Moving on from that, the New York Yankees, they had a pretty good offseason. They signed Carlos Rodon. They also signed Aaron Judge back, which was huge for them. Tommy Canley and Anthony Rizzo, they get an A. Let's move on to the Atlanta Braves. They really don't need much, but they got some help. 
They got some help at the shortstop position, at least. Sean Murphy, they acquired. Ihira Adrianza. Nick Anderson, Sam Hilliard, Colby Howard, Joe Jimenez, and Kevin Pillar. They get a B-minus for that. Milwaukee Brewers, William Contreras, they signed. They signed Justin Yeager, jo- Joel Piamps. They signed Jesse Winker, Abraham Toro, Brian Anderson, and 45-year-old dinosaur Wade Miley. They get a C+. Oakland Athletics, oh my God, what are you doing? Guys, they signed Manny Pena. Estiuri Ruiz, Kyle Muller, Trevor May, Jesus Aguilar, and the last two are international players, which I agree with, Shintaro Fujinami and Drew Rasinski. One of them is from Japan. The other one's from North, from Korea. Guys, you get a D. Straight up D. Well, moving on to the New York Mets. Kodai Senga, they signed Brandon Nemo, the biggest name of the offseason. They signed Justin Verlander, guys. JV is on the New York Mets. They're going to have a great rotation. Edwin Diaz, Jose Quintana, David Robertson, and Omar Narvaez. Guys, you get an A. The San Diego Padres had some big offseason moves as well with with Fernando Tatis Jr. being suspended for 80 games for performance-enhancing drugs, they went out and signed Zaner Bogarts, Robert Suarez, Seth Lugo, Matt Carpenter, Nelson Cruz, Pedro Severino, and Adam Angle. Solid pieces. You get a beat. The St. Louis Cardinals, boo. I don't, I don't really like the Cardinals. I'm biased because I'm a Royals fan, but anyway. They signed Wilson Contreras as their catcher because Yadier Molina decided to hang up the cleats and retire. And Adam Wainwright, guys, you get a C plus. Adam Wainwright's washed. He needs to just retire. Sit down. Bye-bye. Moving on to the Cleveland Guardians, they got Josh Bell, one of the best bats in the MLB, Mike Zunino, and Anthony Ghost, who, if that name sounds familiar, it should because he was... Once an outfielder for the Detroit Tigers. Guys, you get a C plus. Solid C. I'll t- I mean, they'll take it. Moving on to the Seattle Mariners. They signed Colton Wong, Teoscar Hernandez, AJ Pollock, Trevor Gott. I bet he got made fun of in high school for that name. Cooper Hummel and Tommy Lestella. Mariners, I'm going to give you a B because Teoscar Hernandez is a good player. So is Colton Wong. A.J. Pollock is solid enough. Tampa Bay Rays, why did you only sign one player? Come on, guys. You only signed Zach Eflin. You get a C. Moving on to the Houston Trastros, I mean Astros. They get a B- minus for these. Moves. Jose Abreu, they signed him. Oh my gosh, that is a huge signing at first base for them. They need first base help, I'm going to be honest. They had a hole to fill there. Going out and getting Jose Abreu, that was one of the best moves. Rafael Montero, they also signed. And they also re-signed Michael Brantley. For that reason, B-. Orioles, they signed Kyle Gibson, Adam Frazier, Michael Givens, Cole Irvin, and James McCann. Guys, really? Why are you signing these washed-up pitchers? I'm going to give you a D+. I hate to say it, but you get a D. Reds, straight-up D. I'm not even... Will Myers, Kirk Asali, Luke Maley, Kevin Newman, and Nick Solak. Really? Those are horrible moves. I mean, not as bad as the Rockies, which are up next. They signed Pierce Johnson, Jose Urania, Dylan Spain, and Nolan Jones. F. I'm sorry, you get an F. Straight up F. You're going to suck this year because Jose Urania, not a good move. Let's move on to the Detroit Tigers. Matthew Boyd, 
re-signed with them. Michael Lorenzen, Nick Maton, Matt Veerling, Donnie Sands, Jake Higginbottom, and Justin Henry Malloy. Uh, you get a D. A solid D. Let's move on to the Kansas City Royals. They had a solid offseason, but not really. I mean, they signed mostly pitchers. They signed Jordan Lyles, Aroldis Chapman, which was huge. Ryan Yarbrough, Zach Grinke, who I think is going to be in the Hall of Fame for sure. And Josh Taylor from the Boston Red Sox, who they got in a trade for Alberto Mondesi. Pittsburgh Pirates, they signed Rich Hill, Carlos Santana. Really, Carlos Santana. The guy strikes out more than he walks now. He's washed. He does not hit many home runs. He needs to retire. Andrew McCutcheon's back on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Come on, guys. You can do better than a washed-up center fielder. Austin Hedges, Vince Velasquez, G. Manchoy, and Connor Joe. All solid pieces. But for the reason that they signed washed-up players, I think I'm going to give them a C+. Washington Nationals, they got Trevor Williams, Jamer Candelario, Corey Dickerson, Dominic Smith, Erasmo Ramirez, Jeter Downs, and a washed-up Sean Doolittle. Man, I bet he did little in high school. (laughs) For that reason, I'm going to give them a D. All right, guys, we're going to take another quick break coming up. I'll be talking about the power rankings according to so-called experts. Plus, I'll give my top 10 teams. Keep it locked in right here. You're listening to Inside the Diamond on UCM The Beat. In 2020, men died by suicide 3.88 times more than women. That number is way too high. That's why the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is available to all men. Call 988 if you are struggling. You're not alone. There is help. One in nine people worldwide go to bed hungry each night. That's why UCM students and faculty are encouraged to visit the UCM Campus Cupboard. Campus Cupboard is a volunteer-based charity dedicated to alleviating hunger and financial burdens in the UCM community. Any UCM faculty, staff member, or student who presents a valid ID may select 10 items per week from Campus Covered. Campus Covered is located in the lower level of the UCM Student Rec and Wellness Center and is open Tuesday through Thursday from 3 to 5.30 p.m. UCM The Beat, the one and only radio station of the University of Central Missouri. All right, guys, welcome back to Inside the Diamond. Let's talk about the power rankings heading into the 2023 MLB season. Number one, Houston Astros. I like this. Listen, as much as I hate to say, the Houston Astros are a very, very solid team. You know, they're going to be, I think they're going to win the AL West this year, but I'll get to the divisions in the next segment. Don't worry, that's coming up. You just got to be patient. At number two, New York Mets, they're a solid team with Justin Verlander, Jose Quintana. They also had Max Scherzer, who is still a solid pitcher at 30, somehow. He's very predictable, but he absolutely sucks in the in the postseason. He's like Clayton Kershaw, I swear. Number three, we're going to move on to the Atlanta Braves. I like this because here's the thing. The Atlanta Braves, solid team, won the World Series a couple of years ago. Number four, San Diego Padres. For this reason, I think I like this because here's the thing. All right. Xander Bogarts is one of the best shortstops in the entire MLB. He's up there as one of the best, aside from Bobby Wood Jr. Moving on to number five, we got the New York Yankees heading into the 2023. 2023 regular season and yeah I agree with this because Aaron Judge being back in New York is going to help them a lot Carlos Rodon solid solid rotation guy you know moving on to number six we get the Philadelphia Phillies with Bryce Harper being out for the few 
for the first few games due to injury. I don't really know if they're going to do much of anything this year. But they are a very good team. They got some solid pieces, but they have a lot of holes to fill. At number seven, we're going to have the Los Angeles Dodgers. They did not do much of anything, like I said in the previous segment, which is why I am putting them so low on the power rankings. I hate to do it because the Dodgers are my NL team as much as I hate to say it. But Dodgers, the fact that you only signed a few good players, you got rid of Trey Turner, I really don't expect much. Moving on to number eight, the Seattle Mariners. Julio Rodriguez is going to carry this team. They have good pitching, good hitting. Now I know my grandfather has always said good pitching will beat good hitting, and I agree with that statement for sure. Moving on to number nine, we have the Toronto Blue Jays. They are a very stacked team. They have George Springer, Vlad Guerrero Jr., who, for the record, by the way, Hit, get this, 91 home runs in the 2019 MLB Home Run Derby. 91 home runs for him. He had like 40 in one round because he took Jock Peterson to overtime. But moving on to number 10, we are going to have the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't really agree with this. I think the Rays are going to struggle this year. They don't have very good, they don't have a very good offense there. Their pitching was very inconsistent last year. Their whole team as a whole was very inconsistent last year. That's why I don't like this. Number 11, we're going to have the St. Louis Cardinals. Really? Listen, Yadier Molina retired. Albert Pujols retired. Why are you all of a sudden putting them at number 11? You got a washed up Adam Wainwright who just basically sucks. He flat out sucks. Number 12, we got the Cleveland Guardians. I mean, they have Jose Ramirez. That's pretty much it. They don't really have anyone else other than that. Brian Shaw, they have. They have some good bullpen pieces, but once again, their problem, choking in the postseason. (laughs) They're choking. Moving on to number 13, we have the Texas Rangers. Why are they not higher? I don't understand that. They got Jacob DeGrom, for goodness sake. Why are they not higher? I think they they should be up there in the top 10, which I'll talk about in just a little bit. Moving on to number 14, Milwaukee Brewers. Eh, I mean, you had an okay offseason. Lorenzo Kane retired. You're done. This is going to be a rebuilding year for the Milwaukee Brewers, I think. Number 15, Baltimore Orioles. They're 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 close, but they still got a long way to go. I mean, they finished over 500 for the first time in a long time, actually. Last season, they did not even get 100 losses, which was pretty solid. Number 16, Chicago White Sox. Why are they at number 16. They don't deserve to be at number 16. Somebody else needs to be in their place. I'm going to move them all the way down to number 20. Because the White Sox had a horrible offseason. I mean, sure, you hired Pedro Grafal as your manager, which was good on you. You fired Tony La Russa. Thank goodness for that. He was a freaking dinosaur right there. Moving on to number 17, Los Angeles Angels. Yeah, they deserve they deserve to be here. And I really don't think they're going to go anywhere this season. If they can have a healthy Mike Trout and Shohei Otani for an entire season, they could make a push for the playoffs, but their pitching is horrible. Moving on to number 18, we got the Minnesota Twins. Okay. I mean, I'd personally put them in the top 10. Because of Carlos Correa, all the offseason moves that they made. Pablo Lopez, great fastball, good changeup. Moving on to number 20, excuse me, number 19, we got the Chicago Cubs. Eh, I mean, this is a, this is okay. Not really solid, but, I mean, 
Hey. I mean, yeah, they signed Cody Bellinger, but Bellinger's taken a step back ever since his runner-up MVP season. Number 20, we got the San Francisco Giants. I'm going to put them at... I'm going to move them up to number 16 because I'm going to put the White Sox down there. At number 21, we're going to have the Arizona Diamondbacks. Meh. I mean, they've been pretty horrible for the last few seasons. I don't see why anything else would change. They could make a push this year for towards the wild card. I said could. Keyword there, could. But knowing them, they'll they'll probably choke it away. I uh, number twenty two, Miami Marlins. I'd say Marlins fans. You're not gonna go anywhere this year. You're gonna be on a rebuilding year again. Now, to be fair, Derek Jeter resigned as the owner. That was a good move for him. He just needs to get out of the business. At number 23, we got the Boston Red Sox. I mean, you had an okay offseason. You signed a couple good players. One of them who can't stay healthy, though. So, for that reason, I'm dropping you down to number 23. Number 24, we're going to have the Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers fans, why? Why are you going to... I mean, come on. You're going to suck. And moving on to number 25, we're going to have the Cincinnati Reds. They did not do anything this offseason. That's why I'm putting them so low. Moving on to number 26, we got the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, they they, they deserve to be there because they're offseason. But they they're pretty solid players they signed. Zach Greinke, solid pitcher. But Aroldis Chapman had trouble with walks. He didn't throw as hard either, which for those of you who do not know, Aroldis Chapman holds the record for the fastest pitch ever thrown in the MLB. Clocking in at, get this, 106 miles an hour. Moving on to number 27, Detroit Tigers. They belong there. Number 28, Pittsburgh Pirates. They also belong there. Number 29, Washington Nationals. They deserve to be 30. And at number 30, right now, Oakland Athletics. All right, guys, we're going to take one more teeny tiny break. When I come back, we'll be talking about the standings for each division and where I think they will end up. You're com- you're listening to Inside the Diamond on UCM The Beat. Did you know that millions of animals are either abused or abandoned every year in the United States? Donate to your local animal shelter today. And if you have room in your home, why not adopt a furry little friend to add to your family? Be a part of the change. Be a part of saving a helpless animal's life. everybody, Rachel Ray here. Nothing puts a bigger smile on my face than cooking up a big meal for family and friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in America who are struggling with hunger. These children, that's one out of every five, often have to skip meals because there's just nothing to eat in the kitchen. Yet there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food produced right here in America to feed every last hungry child. If only there was a way to get it to them. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids and their families all across our country. But they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America at your local food bank and at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hey America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. 
they can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. All right, everybody in the car, let's go. What are we gonna do first when we get there, Mom? Go for a hike? Sure. What about canoeing? Can we go canoeing too? I don't see why. How long does it take to get to the forest? It's not that far, sweetie. <sighs> are we there yet? Yep, we're here. Already? It's a short drive from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a neighborhood park or green space near you. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. time in the making but it's finally here you see him the beat all right guys welcome back to inside the diamond man that's a catchy name by the way let's move let's talk about the predicted standings i have for the al and the nl First off with the AL East, first place is going to be the New York Yankees. I think they're going to run all over the division. Second place is going to be the Toronto Blue Jays. They're going to have a good year, but it's not going to be good enough to make the World Series, in my opinion, because the AL this year is so tough. Moving on to third place, we got the Tampa Bay Rays. They're not doing anything this year. I'm sorry, Rays fans, but I'd say it. Your team is just not that good. Fourth place, I'm going to have the Baltimore Orioles. And finally, in last place, the Boston Red Sox. Now, the reason I say Red Sox, because they got rid of some very good players. They got rid of Xander Bogarts, Nathan Evaldi, solid pitcher, good splitter, good fastball, good everything, really. Moving on to the NL East, in first place, I'm going to take the New York Mets with Justin Verlander, Edwin Diaz. I think they're going to be very solid. They're going to give the Braves a run for their money. In second place, I'm going to have the Atlanta Braves finishing in that spot because they got rid of Dansby Swanson, and they got a few holes to fill there, but they're still a good team. They got Ronald Acuna. They have Ozzy Albies, solid bat. Third place, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Phillies. They're not really going to do much of anything this year, I don't think. Fourth place, I'm going to take the Miami Marlins. And finally, rounding it out, the worst team in the MLB last year, which was the Washington Nationals. Moving on to the AL Central, and guys, this division is pathetic, okay? As a Royals fan, I'm sorry, but this division is pathetic. It's so bad. Cleveland Guardians are going to have taken the division. Minnesota Twins are going to come in second place. Third place is going to be the Chicago White Sox. Fourth place, I think the Royals will finish there. If they finish above third place, I'll be surprised. Finally, routing out at last place, we have the Detroit Tigers. The good old Detroit Tigers. Moving on to the NL Central, first place. I'm going to have the St. Louis Cardinals finishing there. Second place, Chicago Cubs. Third place, Milwaukee Brewers. Fourth place, Pittsburgh Pirates. Rounding it out in last place. You guys know who it is. The Cincinnati Reds. Moving on to the AL West. Houston Astros are going to win that division. They're going to straight up sweep that division. It's not even going to be close to do. Second place, we're going to have the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners are going to very much give the Astros a run for their money because Julio Rodriguez, they got some good, they got some good talent. Third place, we're going to have the Texas Rangers. Fourth place, we're going to have the Los Angeles Angels. And finally, rounding out in last place, we're going to have the Oakland Athletics. 
NL West, I'm going to have the San Diego Padres in first place. Because, oh, I forgot to mention this, by the way, guys. They signed Mitch Hanniger in the offseason. Mitch Hanniger in that outfield, going to be a stud. Second place, San Francisco Giants already said that. Third place is going to be the Los Angeles Dodgers. I know you're going to say, what? How were the Dodgers going to finish in le- in third place? They didn't do anything in the offseason. That's my main reason for them being in third place. Fourth place, Arizona Diamondbacks. And finally, rounding it out, we have the Colorado Rockies, who are just going to straight up suck this year. Thanks you so much for joining me on this first episode of Inside the Diamond. Join me next week at 2 p.m. to hear me talk about the World Baseball Classic coming up. Plus, I'll talk about teams, about what teams will look like in the upcoming season. Thank you guys so much again. This has been your host, Colin Somewhere, and as always, go Royals! <laughs>